Good morning. Find your way, find your Bible, paper, app, whatever. Make your way over to James chapter 3 this morning. Uh, we'll be reading there in James 3 in just a moment. And as you do, I want to remind you uh, that words matter. Um, do you know that, that words are powerful? Like, are you functionally, daily aware of that sort of thing? Do you, do you know that our, our God is a speaking God? Right, Genesis 1-3, right? And God said, let there be light. And then what occurred? There was light. Hebrews 11-3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. You can't do that, not you and I, right? But, but your, matter, your words matter also. Anyone know on average how many words each of us speak during a single day? Off the top of your head, do you know that? You shout it out. 22? More than that. No. Uh, 16,000 is the answer. I've done some extensive work on this. Some of you speak more than that. Some of you speak less than that. You know in your family probably who's more, who's less. Our, our youngest speaks at least twice that every day. Um, now, I don't, I don't know if, if that includes texting and, and email and, and things like that, but regardless, either way, right, that's a lot of words that are being used by us to communicate with other people during our days. And, and most likely, if you're like me, you, you don't think much about those words. At least nowhere close to as much as we should be thinking about the words we use and how we communicate. Listen, uh, James is, is ultimate, and, and ultimately rather, the Lord God Almighty wants you to know that, that words matter. Words affect you. They affect others. They, they shape how we think, how we feel, how we act, how we live how we die. I mean, you think about every war in the, the history of history, right? Think about every relational conflict that you've ever experienced or been witness to. Uh, if, if you unravel that, that ball of, of angry emotions and, and jealousy and bitterness and hurt feelings, if you just unravel that and get down to the core, what you discover there is, is a moment when someone said something. Someone sent an email. Someone sent a text. Someone scribbled this to someone. Now, you can probably still remember, I bet, the, the most hurtful words that have ever been spoken to you in your life, or at least the most recent hurtful words that have been spoken to you. I mean, back to the point, words matter. Your words matter. And, and that's what James is, is teaching us this morning. I and mean, let's, let's read the passage, and then we'll, we'll break it down. We're going to be going... All 12 verses, of, well, all 12 verses, it doesn't complete anything. We're going to be doing the first 12 verses of James chapter 3 here. So follow along as I read. <clears throat> Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by very small rudder, wherever the wind will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, and yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, standing the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. 
It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour, pour forth uh, from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have made us with lips, with tongues, with mouths that may be used to sing out your praises or curse those who, like us, are made in your image. Help us this morning to understand what you are teaching us through your servant James over the course of these 12 verses. May our minds understand and may our hearts be changed by your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so right off the bat, you see James would not make a very good recruiter, right? Right off, you know, here are reasons not to be a teacher. Uh, that's his word, right? Not many of y'all should be teachers. Now, he, he quickly gives a, a reason there, and, and the reason that not many should be teachers is, is the, this unnerving statement, right, to, to biblical teachers everywhere. At least I hope it's unnerving to biblical teachers, because he says, if you're going to teach people, you are going to be judged with greater strictness. And nobody wants to be judged with greater strictness, right? We're, we're okay with the class, the curve in the class, but you don't want to go in the other way on you. Uh, speaking personally, I, I am willing to, to be a teacher, a preacher, right? Because I feel the call of God on my life to, to preach. But, but these words are incredibly heavy when you read them, and they should be. Now, now why greater strictness, though? What, what's the reason for this? Well, for one, if if someone takes the role of a teacher, that I will teach you, the, the assumption is that you actually know something to be teaching. And so if you're teaching the Word of God, the assumption is you have studied it, you know the Word of God, you, you should be able to teach it faithfully, you should be able to teach it properly. And if you can't, you, you shouldn't be doing that. Just like I, I shouldn't be teaching you about electricity. I don't know how it works. It's still an absolute mystery to me. And so I shouldn't teach a class like that. Now, now think of the requirements, though, for an elder in 1 Timothy 3. Uh, in the midst of all the other things, right, that, that he have good character qualities, that he leads his household well, uh, we, we also learn that he must be able to teach. Elders in, in the church are, are teachers. And in Titus 1.9, we, we further learn that an, an elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word, of, uh, word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, right? He must be able to teach. And, and also to rebuke those who, who contradict it. He must be able to defend the truth. Uh, further, teachers have influence over those that they teach, and, th and that shouldn't be taken lightly, right? Because the things you teach are actually going to affect people, change people, the way they view God, the way they understand God, the way they seek to uh, obey God. And, and, and so it's, it's true, right, that, that only qualified people should teach, uh, and, and teaching is a great privilege, but it is also an incredibly big responsibility that sometimes we take too lightly. And James is, is most likely here speaking into a church culture where people want to be teachers for other reasons, one that we can understand in our own day. Maybe, maybe for the fame or the prestige, even if on a, you know, a small pond mentality, or maybe they just want to influence others, or, or simply they're, they're good at speaking, they're gifted at it, and so they, you know, they want to do that, and so people can praise them for it. And what we see James in, in, in James here is, is that a teacher needs to not only speak well, right? That, that's not the primary uh, quality in, in someone who teaches, but, but to believe what he teaches from Scripture, what he's learned from Scripture. To be able to live it out, even as it will be lived out 
flaw, you know, with, with flaws and all, but to be able to live it out, to be able to see it actually at work in that person's life. And I'll say, as a, a teacher among you, I, I ask that you would be praying for me, not just today, but always, that you'd be praying for me to live out the things that, that I'm teaching you from God's word in regards to God living, but also in regards to humility, in regards to embracing the grace of God, the gospel that we believe when, when there are failures. Uh, I also ask, you know, you pray for Travis and Ryan and Tim who, who serve as elders among you. You'd be praying for, for Toby who's, you know, teaching our Sunday school, our adult Sunday school right now. You're praying for, for Sarah and Amy as they teach the elementary school. Pray for those who are, you know, teachers among us, even in the official sense, or, or those that are serving as teachers among us, including our, our campus ministers, right? John and, and Zach and, and Jeremy, right? Be, be praying for us as, as, as we take on this, this heavy responsibility. And, and, and notice, James isn't expecting teachers to be perfect. The very next words, right, that he writes are, are this, in a sense, a confession, right, that we all stumble. He puts we in there, not they all stumble, or some people stumble, we all stumble. And, and, and so I ask of you, again, just pray for your teachers, but, but also have grace for your teachers, for those that labor in the word for you, that you, you, you do have an expectation for them, but not an expectation of perfection. Now, I'm a, a amazed by the massive number of, of pastors that I know uh, who during the COVID area, era just changed ministries completely or, or left pastoral ministry completely because they were so discouraged, so broken down, so beat down by the very people that they've been called to, to shepherd and, and care for. It's heartbreaking, uh, right? So, so I'm asking you, right, be, be prayerful um, for, for us. Uh, so you also need to know that this whole passage is not just addressing teachers. I know you read that first sentence and it's easy to think, okay, I can check out. This is all about teachers and their mouths and their tongues. Um, and, and, and here's the deal. Teachers are a tremendous case study. That's what James is doing with that, that first part. But, but the rest of this is about your tongue as, as well as mine, our tongue and the way that we use it. And, and as I've already mentioned, James says that we all stumble in many ways. We sin. You know that. And then he says, if you don't stumble in the way that you use your words, you're a, you're a perfect man. His whole point is, is, listen, you're a sinner. Like, that's a reality. That's what's coming out of your mouth, and, and you know that, right? As, as Sinclair Ferguson says, he says, whatever our gifts and aspirations may be, we must also remember that we are sinners. You're also a saint. Don't, don't let that be your primary only identification, but, but you know you're a sinner. Um... We, we will be absolutely without sin, even the temptation to sin when our, our Lord gloriously returns, but until then, we're going to struggle with it. Now, from this point forward, James is teaching you and I about our tongues. Let's, let's have a look at it. He, he begins with two simple illustrations to show the power of our tongues, the power of our words. And first, he points out that a thousand-pound horse is, is controlled by this tiny little bit in the mouth of the horse, right? That's what steers it one way or, or other way, something that weighs less than a single pound, Likewise, a, a huge ocean ship, he's picturing the old ones with, with sails, not your, well, it doesn't matter, even the new ones work the same way, right? The whole thing is actually driven left or right by a, a, a tiny little uh, piece of wood back in the day, right? A rudder to shape it one way or the other way. Uh, control the rudder, you control the whole ship. The tongue is incredibly influential, even though it is so small. Like Napoleon, its effect is just uh, out of proportion to its little size, now, beginning in the second half of verse 5, James challenges us to view our tongue with, with a seriousness that we don't generally do, we don't naturally do. He, he says, the tongue is a fire. <clears throat> right? It's, that's what it is. It's a fire. It doesn't mean it's, it's evil in and of itself, but it makes it incredibly dangerous. 
You know, right? Fire can bring warmth. There are times when all you want a cold day around a cold campfire is to be close to the fire for that warmth, but you also know that it has absolute potential to destroy. And we forget that because it doesn't look dangerous sitting atop a candle just flickering in your house, right? But that's the way they go. Um, you, you know, it can get out of hand real quick. Say, say one day you're making... Uh, s'mores, and you decide, let's go out in the yard and let's make some s'mores. You, you make a little fire pit, and uh, you wonder, you know, what would happen if it got out of the fire pit? It gets out of the fire pit, and it lights the grass on fire and begins to spray and be- spread, and before you know it, right, you could destroy the entire neighborhood now. Now, I, I use this as an illustration because Pat, who's down in the nursery right now, and doesn't even know she's getting thrown under the bus, uh, had that actually experience not long ago. Right? A little bitty fire that seemed like nothing, going to make some s'mores, and it got out of hand. The fire department comes and shows up. But, but it's so destructive, fire, right, that you, you think about our, our county. We're not in some giant county. This isn't, you know, New York City or something like that. But our county has 15 firehouses and over 150 people dedicated to putting out fires because of the danger of it. And Pat got to meet a few of them a few weeks back. Now, as James points out, a, a little bit of fire can destroy a massive forest. And we all know what he means. We, we've been on both sides, you know, as a, as a symbolic statement or illustrative statement, on both sides of words that have that either leapt out of your mouth or leapt out of someone else's mouth and just started a blaze, just destroying relationships or communities or churches or organizations and so on. And, it, and it's, if it happens, uh, and it happens just like a forest fire, right? How quickly a word is spoken in anger or jealousy and it can destroy a, a, a friendship, a relationship that took years and years and years to, to build and it's going to take years and years to rebuild sometimes because of the things that are said. You, you think about the careers and reputations that you have seen ruined because of some, some statement made in, in some moment, right? Or, or tweeted out or something like that. You Think of the marriages that have been traumatized because of untrue words or hurtful words that have, that have just sparked a dispute. Think of the self-hatred that so many wrestle with because of evil words that have been spoken to them or kind words that were left unspoken by parents or others. David Gibson says, I have, I've watched whole churches engulfed in controversy because of one person's uncontrolled tongue and all the calming words in the world couldn't seem to undo the angry words. So it's not hard to see why in verse 6, James calls your tongue a, a world of unrighteousness. He says it stains the whole body. That it sets the whole course of life on fire, all of life. He says it was set on fire by hell, by the evil one who wants your tongue to be used for destruction against the kingdom of God. Wants your tongue to be used for the tearing down of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Wants your tongue to be used in, in, in evil against your neighbors even, right? And, and instead, of, instead of used for spreading the gospel, instead of used for building up. To, to put terms to the kind of speech we're talking about, just to really bring it into things we understand, right? We're talking, sure, blasphemy. We're talking gossip, lying, empty vows, harsh words to put others down, slander, but also... Now, arrogant bragging and manipulating others, or what, you know, the word everyone uses now, gaslighting. Empty flattery, jealousy, or judgmental words, complaining, or just aiming to hurt someone because you are grumpy, or, or, or because they didn't, they get in your way, or whatever it might be, that you just want to use your words to, to tear someone apart. And, and sometimes, and I, I know this all too well, sometimes humor can be a dangerous gift in that way. How many witty comments come at the expense of someone else's feelings. I know it's hard because it's funny. 
You never know how is someone actually going to receive this. Now, at this point, right, you're, you're hearing this, this whole list of all the things we do wrong, and, and you might be thinking, okay, so I'll just will myself to be better. You're right, I can do this. I will just control this tongue. I will take it by the reins and, and make it do the things that it needs to do. Now, now look at verses eight and se- or 7 and 8. You've got to do them in order, right? Look at verses 7 and 8, where, uh, that while we can tame every animal of the planet, that's kind of an amazing thing, right? You think about it, we can tame anything on this planet. I had a pet deer as a kid. There, there are people that have kept lions as pets. You, you go to SeaWorld, not anymore, but we used to go to SeaWorld, and you'd see people riding killer whales, uh, right? We can tame anything, and yet James says no human being can tame the, the tongue. You can't control it. Not the most encouraging statement yet, is it? You, you, you know this, though. You, you can't perfectly subdue your own words. How many times has, has something come out of your mouth and you wish you could actually physically grab those words, right, and put them back? Just come back. Go back where you came from. Uh, it, and, and it's quite a dilemma for James to say this. And we're going to come back to this dilemma here in a bit. But first, let's, let's go ahead and finish the passage. Verse 9. Uh, here James points out what is actu- what's our actual experience. With the same tongue with which we bless the Lord, we also curse people who are made in God's image. Right, verse 10, as he says, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And he, and he doesn't mean here what we culturally call curse words or bad words. He, he, he means using any word in an evil way to curse, to tear down the, a, a fellow man or a fellow woman or child. And, and the illustration in the last two verses are, are, are painting this, this picture for us uh, of uh, of the contradiction, how, how contrary our, our lips are, our mouths are, right? Hey, because first, right, springs bring forth fresh, nourishing waters. We don't deal with springs very often. But you can think about the tap in your house, right? You turn it on and fresh water comes out. You wouldn't like it if sometimes fresh water come out and other times you turn it on and it's salt water. You're like, this is salt water today. That, that's the way it is. They don't do both, right? Fig trees, they produce... Fruit of figs every time, not sometimes figs and other times what olives. Uh, and finally, a, a salt marsh isn't going to give you fresh water. You don't go dip your cup in there and suddenly, oh, it's fresh water today. Springs and fig trees and salt marshes are consistent. And James's point is yet our mouths, our words, our lips that, that are at times you know, good and nourishing and other times evil and destructive, both things coming out of the same entrance or the same, same mouth. And, and be real as you think about this. What does this look like in reality? How many times have you stood in here and, and worshipped the Lord and praised God with your mouth only to have walked out of here and, and almost immediately just ripped into somebody about something or about somebody, right? Or, or said awful things to uh, either about someone you just worshipped with or shared gossip about someone and, and said cruel things maybe to someone in your family that you were on your best behavior here, right? But suddenly you just rip into someone or someone in your dorm or, or whatever, you, you know this, this contradiction of our mouths. It puzzles us sometimes, doesn't it? Whenever we actually do let it sink in and realize what we're saying, what we're doing, it puzzles us because you wonder, why am I like this? Right? The short answer is sin. We'll, we'll get to the deeper answer in a bit. Now, one of the most surprising things here is, is James doesn't tell us what to do. We always talk about James. He's so practical. We love James for that. Well, he also is not real practical here in one sense because he doesn't say. He just says every one of us stumbles, right? We all stumble, right? Okay, that's what we do. He says your tongue is a fire. He says no human being can tame the tongue. He says with our mouths we bless and we curse and that, and that this way of speaking ought not be so among us as Christians. 
Which raises the question, how are you supposed to respond to this passage? Are, are we to just go, go burr and try to talk less, smile more? Or, or, or should we just give up and let our untamed tongues just go wild? Just set them free, right, to become this, this, this verbal arsonist in a forest of souls all around us? The, the fact that James says these things ought not be so, that should feel like an incredible correction for us. Right? It's not just, oh, it's not so good. It, it ought not be so among us as, as Christians. In, in other words, we should do something about our words. Christian, you should not be satisfied with the pattern of evil speech. And, and, and many of us, myself included, right, often we don't even notice our speech. It comes so naturally to us. It just comes out. Right? We think, oh, if it's true, then we can say whatever we want, maybe. Now, now James also says in verse 8 that no human being can tame the tongue. How's that for motivation? You need to tame the tongue. And also, no human being can tame the tongue. It's quite the paradox. James is asking you to do something that you can't not do. You simply cannot do. Be, if I said, what I want you all to do right now is to stand up, and I want you to jump, and I want you to touch the ceiling. Some of you might think you could do it, but we all know none of you could do that. No, Alex, you can't. That's all you think it. You, you can't do it. And so look again at verse 8, though. This is actually the key to understanding this passage. What does James actually say there? Because our minds go so quick, we're like, oh, no one, no one can do it. It just can't be done. Right? The ESV says it this, reads it this exactly. No human being can tame the tongue. Human being, right? From the Greek, anthropos, which is a word you know, right? Anthropology, study of what? Human, mankind. It's what it's getting at. It's that general term for man which includes everyone who is a man, but does not include who? God. You catching on to this, right? James doesn't say no one can tame the tongue. He says no man, no woman, no child can tame the tongue, but God can. As Augustine said, this, this is so that when our tongue is tamed, we admit that it was done by the mercy of God, the assistance of God, the grace of God. That this means that you and I cannot simply decide by some resolution of our, of our will to control our tongues. It's not a matter of just recommitting yourself right now to control your tongue and just that's the way it's going to be. And, and here's why not. Because it's really a question of who controls your heart. It goes deeper than just you making some decision. You, you think about the illustrations that James used at the start. We, uh, we, we think of them as having two parts, right? But there's also a third part. He mentions it and mentions that third part, but we don't notice them. Uh, a bit and a horse, right? Those are the two parts. But what's the third part? It, uh, it's actually the rider on that horse that holds the reins that actually controls the horse. Uh, the ship and the rudder, right? Those are the two parts, but it's actually the pilot who's at the wheel that actually controls the rudder that thus controls the ship. As Jesus, our, our Lord, has said of men in Luke 6.45, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right? That, that's where it's happening. Deeper than just the mouth. You, you might say our, our two parts are, are then the heart and, and the tongue, but... But what's the third part? Right? Who, who controls your heart? That's the real question here. In chapter 13 of the Westminster Confession of Faith, we read, and I, I've given you the modern translation because Old English is really hard to understand verbally. Uh, it says this. It says, Some remnants of corruption still persist in every part, and so there arises a continual irreconcilable w uh, war. And this is partly you know, coming from Galatians 5.17 where we read this. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desire of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want. It's that experience you know, right? 
When, when you've, maybe you've said something and, and, and you're reflecting on it later and you're thinking back to those moments and, and you just shake your head and you wonder, why in the world did I say that? What is wrong with me? Right? And you begin to beat yourself up because you're thinking, I'm redeemed by the blood of Christ. Why am I still struggling with this? And, and that's what that's, you know, the confession in Galatians is speaking at. It's still that battle, still that, that remnant of the flesh that, that will be gone when the Lord returns, hallelujah. But, but for now, we, we still struggle with it. So my, my point is, is, is this, is that the words that come out of your mouth, they are revealing what's really going on in your heart, in your heart at, at any period of time. And so, Christian, the real question here is, what do your words reveal about your, your heart lately? What do they say about your heart? What's going on there? Is the Word of God active in your life? Who holds the reins? Is, is the Holy Spirit piloting the ship, you, you might say? Because our, our, our hope here is that God will control what we cannot control. And so our heart must be right, and if our words are going to be right, and, 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 and how do our hearts be right? Well, it's a work of God. We, we pray for it, we ask for it, we go to God, and we, we confess, right? Like, like Isaiah the prophet, when he says, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. It's that confession of, here's where I'm at right now, Lord. And we ask God to forgive the evil things we have spoken, and we, we once again believe the gospel, going back to that most basic of things we know to be true, right? That we believe that we receive the loving mercy of God even in our repentant failures. There's no words that you have uttered that cannot be forgiven fully by the Lord, even if in this life you will continue to face the consequences of those words. And so then, by, by God's grace, let our, let our hearts be renewed so that we'll use our tongues to bless the Lord and use our tongues to to bless others made in the image of God. Now I do want to finish with kind of a, a series of, of applications here. The, most of them are short. Uh, first of all, knowing that we will not live perfectly until the return of the Lord can sometimes be discouraging. And I mean this in the most practical sense. There's part of you that thinks, you know what, if I can't tame my tongue perfectly, why bother pursuing that in any, any event? Why, why pray for it? Why, why look for that small bits of it. Um, why bother at all? And, and mainly the reason is this, because the Lord your God calls you to this. He calls you to it. He also fills you with the Holy Spirit, and He set you free from the power of sin, meaning, meaning you can have success. You, you, can, you can see so much progress in that area, and wherever you see even a little bit of progress, there's reason to celebrate, but, but know that that progress is valuable, even if you know that even, you know, you might think, I'm just going to wait until Jesus returns, then bam, instantly, sanctified, all the way. It's, it's worth the effort. It honors God that you make efforts in this regard. It is good for your soul. It is good for the kingdom. And just because you can't, you know, in the same way, just because you can't have a perfectly healthy body right now, that doesn't mean that you just give up and let yourself become 800 pounds of unhealthy either, right? There's a lot of benefit in, in the various places in progress, even a little progress. Um, second, in regards to teaching, again, please do pray for your teachers. And if you are a teacher or desire to be one, I encourage you to take it serious. It's not just to entertain people. It's, it's not just for you, right, to, or anything like that. That You take it serious. For as James says, we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. 
Third, today I, I want you to evaluate your own speech, or maybe go a step further, ask someone that you are around very often if they will help you evaluate your speech. Uh, I mentioned at the start today that we speak 16,000 words a day on, on average, and, and just to consider, you know, how many of those words that you speak are actually against somebody? Against your spouse, against your, your parents, your, your children, your friend, your boss, or, or even spoken against God, complaining about this is, why is this the life you gave me? Do some evaluating of your speech. Fourth, James has been very clear leading up to chapter 3 that the Word of God changes us, changes our hearts, and so let the Word of God do its work in your life. Do its work in your heart. Marinate on the Scriptures. I, you hear that over and over and over again because I know we struggle over and over and over again to do it. There are so many entertaining things in our life and our world that we live in today that to stop down and slow down and spend time in the Scriptures... That is easy to let go by. But if you're serious about really wanting to, to see your heart change, to see your speech change, that's, that's where you begin. Uh, fifth, if these words of James have convicted you of any words that you've spoken to someone lately, go apologize. Ask to be forgiven by whoever you spoke them to. It's beautiful to see, yes, words can cause conflict. They can destroy relationships. But you know what? Words can also do wonders to restore relationships, to bring about restoration. Six, sometimes we are in situations where you know your words have potential to be misunderstood. Or maybe you come across someone and, 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 and they just are an easy target for your snark, right? When, when you find yourself in that situation, stop. Take your thoughts, your emotions, the, the words you've constructed in your head. And some of you, this is harder because you just talk so fast. Uh, right, But take that moment and, and bring them to the Lord and pray before you actually speak them. And even more so when you know you're in a moment where you are angry, when you are frustrated, when you know these words, I am ready to go to war to stop and to pray before you speak those words. Change them if you need to. Or maybe don't fire that snark, uh, snarky comment. Seven, don't, don't miss the fact that James in verse 9 points out that your tongue can also be used for good. Used to bless the Lord here, right? Your, your mouth can bless the Lord. We know from other passages it can build up and encourage those around you. So, so don't just make it your goal to not say sinful things. If that were the only goal, we could just probably have a surgeon just stiff up your mouth, right? Be done with it. Make it your goal, your aim, to speak beautiful words of encouragement or, or corrective words that are spoken wholeheartedly in love, right? To, to make that your goal. When was the last time you used your words to build something instead of to tear something or someone down? Ephesians 4.29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Or Proverbs 16.24, so beautiful, uh, as it so beautifully says, it says this, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, a sweetness to the soul and health to the body. And so then, let us earnestly seek the Lord that, that, that he would truly be the Lord of our hearts. That's what we desire, to be the Lord of our hearts and, and so pilot the ship, right? So that our words coming out of our mouths would, would be honoring to the Lord. And I'll, I'll leave you now with these words from Psalm 1914. The psalmist says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. Lord God, no human being can tame the tongue perfectly. And yet you have called us to work at taming these little fires. And, and, and so we confess to you that our hearts need renewal. 
And so we ask that, that you would be the unchallenged Lord of our hearts. Make us endlessly aware of our tongues, uh, how our tongues burn and destroy, but, but also how these wonderful tongues can be used for your purposes, for your glory, for, for praising you, for teaching others. For, and we ask that you just give us progress in this area of sanctification this morning, today, and in the days going forward. May we honor you with our lips. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.